We are back with you for Hour 2 of uh, Bureau Presence Live on a Thursday. Father James Gross joined by Father Jason Leffer, priest of the Diocese of Fargo. And uh, thanks for staying with us on our program. Now, before we head into our next segment, I want to invite you to visit our website, realpresenceradio.com. You can listen to programming from your local area, find a podcast if you missed one of the daily shows. You could also submit a prayer intention, nominate your favorite priest for donuts for the Honor Our Father's segment, and much more. So realpresenceradio.com. Also, I just want to mention on behalf of Father Leffer that uh, we just a few weeks ago were able to host a segment of the Fall Live Drive programming, and there were many people who very graciously um, made uh, sacrificial gifts that might be more difficult at this time than it would have been a, a year or two ago. So we really appreciate your willingness to do that. If you happen to miss out on that, there are opportunities to donate in order to support our apostolate of Catholic Radio, so please log on to realpresenceradio.com. You know, as we transition to our next segment, I have to say that uh, I I noticed the name here is John Edwards that we're about to encounter, you know, and that if you remember back in seminary, we had uh, Father Monsignor Lollaberty, right? Yes. Our brilliant Mm -hmm, scripture mm -hmm. professor, and he did his doctoral thesis. Whenever I hear the name John Edwards, I think of Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the, Puri- the Puritan preacher with, with the bottom of his fist sore from pounding on the pulpit for hours on end. Right, right, right. So I, I wonder if this is maybe his great-great-grandson we're about to count. <laughs> yeah, that, that could well be. And I also want to make a dis- distinction. We're not about to speak with John Edward, the popular psychic crossing over guy either. Oh, so, I, oh, I like, forgot uh, about him. Yeah, yeah, just, there are all sorts yeah. of confusions that could come up here, but we want to make sure that we are very clear and precise about this (laughs) as we have John Edwards, the uh, founder of the Just a Guy in the Pew podcast, and we're privileged to have you with us today. Welcome to Real Presence Live. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be uh, with both of you guys, and and, and i got to tell you, John Edward has helped me get a lot of YouTube uh, hits, actually by the accidental misspelling, so I'd like to thank him as well. (laughs) It's all location, location, location. Name, 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 name. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. All right. Now, I want to say, first of all, that uh, yesterday I took some time to watch your uh, witness video that you have on your website, justaguyinthepew.com, and uh, I would welcome all of our listeners, if they haven't yet done that, to... uh, to watch that it's about a half hour or a little bit more and just a fascinating story because um it really gives us a background on uh where you've come from and and what you're doing so could you just uh, briefly um orient our listeners uh to you and and uh and uh a little bit about your background sure sure so uh you know as, as you guys said my name is john edwards i live in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm married to my wife, Angela, and have three beautiful children, Jason, uh, not Jason, excuse me, Jacob, Caitlin, and Allison. And uh, I've lived here all my life. I grew up, uh, was born and raised in Midtown Memphis, grew up Baptist, uh, was a young man that loved the church from from as far as I can remember uh, in my youth, Uh, you know, going to the church every time the doors were open, doing mission trips, evangelizing, vacation Bible school, church camps, all that. And uh, I found myself basically finding my community there, and, and the people that were my friends and my family basically were those folks in my church. Um, and that was that way until I was about 18 years old. And at that time, living in Memphis, it's sort of a melting pot for people that uh, went to SEC schools. 
in the South here. So a lot of people's parents went to these schools and wanted to follow in their footsteps. So people in my youth group kind of took off. And uh, for the first time in my life, I was I was left uh, just without community. Uh, very lonely. I was in the time where I needed to decide what I was going to do with my future. And uh, I've been working for Napa Auto Parts uh, here in Memphis as a so 16 in the summers, uh, working in the warehouse and things like that. And so I decided to continue to do that, but I also enrolled at the University of Memphis. And for the first time in my life, I was around thousands of people, and I didn't know a soul. And so in college there, I, uh, I very quickly lost my identity. Um, you know, what, what had been grounded in faith in this community very quickly disappeared in college, and I, I began to yearn for people to, to notice me, to fit in, for people to like me. And so the one thing I, I, I did do, the one person I still knew in Memphis was uh, in charge of rushing. Uh, he was a rush chairman for a fraternity. So I decided to, to go and speak to him, and he, you know, he said, yeah, come on and try to join the fraternity. I got in, and that was the last day that I went to church for a long time in my life. Um, I just I threw myself into that experience, began to drink, began to womanize, and then I began to do a lot of different things, drugs, you know, alcohol, all kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, I moved up in my job at Napa Auto Parts and was uh, at that point the warehouse manager or something at the age of 20 and was making about 35 grand a year. Had a lot of money for a kid in college and and just started making bad choices. I realized there were so many people around me that didn't have means like I did at the time in college. You know, a lot of college students don't have much, you know, other than to buy food or whatever. So um, I began to be a popular guy because of that. I could, you know, buy things, get people into clubs, buy drugs. Uh, I started smoking weed, started doing some other things like LSD and ecstasy. But I'll never forget the night that I, I made the greatest mistake of my life, which was to do cocaine and um, that was something I thought would be a one-time thing, you know, just, just, I was actually at a friend's house and had too much to drink on a Sunday watching football and had no idea this was going on in another part of the house, but I walked back there and, and saw it and, and made a decision that I regret to this day, but it's something that I thought was going to be, you know, a one-time thing just to get me home and to wake me up supposedly, and then I'll be done with it. Well, that wasn't the case. I began to do it more and more in my life and, there was a segment of those guys in my fraternity that did that, and we sort of broke off and started to do that. Um, and so for a long time in my life, I continued to to, um, to be successful in my job. I moved up to be a salesman of the year for the Fortune 250 company uh, multiple years in a row. Along the way, I met my wife, Angela, and uh, in a bar one night, actually. And we began to just, you know, we met that night, began to date, and then, eventually got married a year or two later. And this whole time, guys, I thought, well, I'll quit, right? It's getting to the point where I'm getting older. I'm in my late 20s. This is this is something I need to get rid of. It's, you know, put away childish things, as St. Paul says. And and um, it didn't work. Like, I kept thinking, well, I'm going to get married, and, and that'll, that'll do it. And a couple years later, we had Jacob, and I thought, well, surely now I'm going to be a father. You know, this will do it. i got to stop now, right? i got to be responsible. And it didn't, and a couple of years later, we found out we were going to have Allison and Caitlin, which are twins, and I thought, surely now this is the time, and it didn't happen. Um, you know, I kept waiting for something that wasn't going to happen. In the midst of all that, my mother passed away of cancer, um, and at this point in my life, guys, I was kind of like, I, I kind of looked at myself as, why do I get to exist? You know, I'm, I, I lie about everything. I'm not truthful with anybody about who I am. I'm not a good father. I'm not a good husband. Um, you know, I don't deserve, go ahead, please. 
but I don't deserve to live, you know. Um, why would you take someone like my mother, who is a good church-going woman who loves you and has been good to everyone in her life, and, and leave someone like me? So I walked away from God at that point, even further from that. Um, my wife, when we got married, she was a Catholic, a cradle Catholic, and she kind of let me know along the way that uh, that the man she would marry would be Catholic, so I figured I was the guy for the job, so I signed up that way. But mm-hmm. I never fully embraced the faith. Um, I went through RCIA and, and, and went to church under protest most of the time. Um, and about five years ago, I'm 42 now, just recently turned 42, uh, when I turned 37, uh, I was still knee-deep in, in, in the drugs. When my mother passed, I just dove further into them. Uh, my wife and I did not have a very good relationship. We were living together, and I was a good father when I wanted to be. But most of the time, I was concerned about making money and, and, and then you know doing drugs and drinking at night. And so that went on, and, and uh, about the age of 37... I had gone to a men's conference. I knew my life was out of control, as most addicts do. You know, you know something's wrong, but you just don't want to admit it. And um, I had some panic attacks in the middle of the night uh, where I thought I was going to die and, and some nights wished that I, that I would have. Um, but I, I decided I was going to go to a Catholic men's conference and, and for the sole reason of going to confession. So I, I did. I went that weekend. I found a priest that... Uh, I didn't know. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are familiar with that, trying to find a priest you don't know and you're embarrassed about some things you've done in your life. But uh, I went in, and there was this older priest, and I sat down and, and began to confess to him. And uh, I remember him telling me, you know, I kept saying, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get in trouble. I want to stop, but I don't want to get in trouble. And he flat out just kind of went off on me and said, it's not up to you. You know, it's up. If you really want forgiveness, then you need to be uh, really have a repentant heart, and, and he kind of went all through that with me, and and uh, I told him I did. I wanted to change my life, and he retired after that. I'm not sure if that's my fault for a voting, <laughs> <laughs> or if that was that was the plan the whole time. But um, yeah. I left that day, and and I'm trying to speed through this, guys, quickly. I know it's a long story, but um, I, I left that day, went home, uh, poured out the drugs, poured out the booze. My wife was probably like, "What in the world's going on?" But um, you know, she had no clue I was doing the drugs at all, but I threw that stuff away and, um, said I was going to change my life. And that, that happened for four days. Uh, I made it, you know, from Sunday until that next Thursday. And the next Thursday I had a customer that had been planning when I was working at Napa to buy a lot of, a lot of equipment, a lot of stuff. And I was a hundred percent commission salesperson. So I was going to make a lot of money. And that guy basically signed the dotted line that day and it fired off something within me, endorphins or whatever. And I thought I got to celebrate. And I remember thinking, no, you made a promise. And I thought, well, just this one time. So I was supposed to be picking up my son, uh, you know, on the way home from work. And uh, I didn't. I went and stopped by my dealer's house. And that was the day that the police happened to be watching his house. And I was arrested that day and uh, and taken to jail. And it happened to be on Holy Thursday. Mm, so I didn't know if you want to pause here for a minute or if you want me to keep going for a second. You know what, we are going to have to break uh, just for a moment, okay. and so this might be a good okay. time to take that. Um, sure. So we are visiting with John Edwards, who is the uh, founder of the Just a Guy in the Pew podcast, and uh, we're going to kind of continue this story as uh, we've been hearing about this wonderful testimony and uh, the power of redemption and God's grace in your life. So um, hang with us there, John, and all the rest of you listeners as we come back after this break. We'll have more with John Edwards. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Live, engaging, and local. This is Real Presence Live 
where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. It's a great time to spring into summer at Riverview Senior Living Community in Fargo. Hi, I'm Carrie Dew, Executive Director. We are currently accepting new independent and assisted living residents. Riverview provides a safe, comfortable place to live with a small town Main Street feel with home-cooked food, a la carte care services, daily activities, and mass five days a week. You can contact Marin or Katie to find out about all that Riverview has to offer at 701-237-4700 or at homeishere.org. Hi, I'm Father Chris Alar. In this world of suffering and pain, we've all experienced loss, especially the death of someone we love, and it's never harder than it is with suicide. In our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and for You, we want to be able to help you. We know that the pain and suffering is great, but we also know that we we can get through it. So please visit suicideandhope.com to learn more. Thank you. Rose Management is a family-owned business that believes in good morals, doing the right thing, and treating our residents as family. Rose Management provides affordable housing to complexes throughout North Dakota and Minnesota. All Rose Management properties and our maintenance staff are in a centralized location in their cities. If you have any questions, you can call 701-237-6840 or online at rosemanagement.net. Again, that number is 701-237-6840. SJ Machine, proudly named after and dedicated to St. Joseph, provides quality machining and induction heat treating to a variety of industries. Just as St. Joseph worked diligently to meet his family's needs, SJ Machine strives to understand and meet your production needs. Prototype to production, working together towards success. SJ Machine can be reached at 701-347-0155 and are a proud supporter of the Real Presence Radio Network. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live on a Thursday. Father Jason Leffer and Father James Gross, pleased to be joining you from our Grand Fork studios. And we're in the middle of a great conversation with the founder of Just a Guy in the Pew podcast, John Edwards, who is uh, giving us some of his background of how he got to where he is now. We'll dive back into that story in just a moment. I just have a, a curiosity about one thing. This is completely off the wall, but I would uh, regret sure. if I didn't get a chance to ask you. The only time I myself have been in Memphis was to uh, catch a connecting flight on an airport. So it's one of the places I still need to go to. So um, as somebody who is a lifelong uh, Memphis resident, uh, what is your, uh, what, what's the verdict on Graceland? Is that worth, uh, is that worth a visit, <laughs> a, a pilgrimage? <laughs> well, it depends on whether you're a, Beatle, a Beatles fan or an Elvis fan, but, <laughs> but no, it's, it's really, it, it really is good. I've been there twice in my life, but my wife who lived around the corner from it for most of your young life has never even been so it's crazy you have you have people that come from all over the world prime ministers of japan and all these different different places and yet there's thousands of people in memphis who've never been but but yeah. it's, it's a great place it's worth your time and they actually redid all of that stuff all the 
all the attractions they moved across the street and recently redid, so it's even better than it was before. There you go. So, yeah, it's a matter of seeing the uh, the, the shag carpeting and the uh, vintage automobiles. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, yes, Very good. The so, the jungle room. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we were up to Holy Thursday and uh, some police sirens. Yeah. And finding yourself sure. uh, finding yourself in the lo- local lockup, huh? Yeah, so I, I from that point, I, you know, I was driving down the street, and next thing you know, I pulled over to get some gas, and there was a police car behind me, and uh, kind of like what you see on TV, out of the car and into their car and, and down to be questioned, and then into uh, downtown Memphis, into the jail uh, facility down there, which Memphis is one of the, you know, as far as crime goes, uh, highest-rated crime-ridden cities in the country. So it's not the place you want to be going to jail if, <laughs> if you have mm-hmm. a choice, but... I went in that night. Uh, a police officer was kind enough to let me call my wife and tell me where she where I was. Um, she was worried to death. I was a couple hours late from getting my son and all of that. And and uh, I told her what had happened. And, and you know, she told me on the phone, "I hate you," you know, and which I didn't. I didn't blame her. I mean, she was shocked to find out what was going on. Uh, but at least I knew that she knew where I was, and so that was a little bit of peace. But they took me into the jail cell, and I sat there until about four in the morning, or into the facility before they did the things you see on Law & Order, right? The, the mug shots and all of that. And continuing to tell myself I'm going to get out of this. I was a sales guy. I could talk my way out of a lot of stuff, but I wasn't getting out of this. And about 4 in the morning, they handed me a grocery bag full of scrubs and a toothpaste and some toilet paper. And uh, I'm a six foot eight guy, so when they were handing me shoes, I thought, yeah, you've got no hope of this. But they actually had size 16 Crocs in the gel, so I can't find them in a store. But you can find them in jail. So if you're looking for big <laughs> shoes, you know, you, they've got a supply. But so we, we get in this line and they take me down the cell block. And this is when it really got real to me when I started realizing, you know, oh, my gosh, this is this is all happening. Now, I hadn't slept. I hadn't eaten in 24 hours. I had the same clothes on I had the day before until they gave me those to change. So I go down in front of a cell and, and they tell us that they say, stand back. The, the, the wrought iron bars open. I go in. They tell you to turn around. And I slowly watched these bars just do, 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 boom, close. And I thought, that's it. My life's over. Like, I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to lose my wife, my kids, my job, everything. And at that point, I was so just worn out. All I did was turn around and look at this disgusting mattress, and I threw one blanket over it and one over me and laid face down. And by the grace of God, I went to sleep. Well, I woke up the next morning, and I was still under the covers face down. And I, and I thought, oh, oh, gosh, thank you. This was a dream. God, I will stop. I will never do this again. And I sat up, and that's when my head hit the bottom of a steel bunk bed. Mm-hmm. And I realized, you know, I didn't have bunk beds at home. <laughs> and I started to realize that this was, I was in jail. This wasn't a nightmare. It was reality. I threw my legs over the side of the bed, and there was a cinder block wall that was a couple feet in front of me. And, guys, I just began to shake and rub my arms rapidly. And this panic that had come over me those couple times before I went to confess, uh, started to come over me. I thought I was going to have a heart attack, and I began to feel, you know, suicidal thoughts creep in, and I began to just tell myself, like, I'm, I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to lose my wife. I'm going to lose my kids, my job, everything. Everybody's going to know. Everyone's going to know. Everyone's going to know. And all the way to the 17 years of, of being a chameleon among men, of wearing masks and being different things to everybody, this persona that people thought of, man, there's a guy with a great-looking family and a nice house and cars and money, and all that was a shame. I was such a broken mess. And no one knew it. And in this moment, I'm going night to nothing, rubbing my arms. And all of a sudden, I stop, and I felt this feeling of peace come over me, which I shouldn't have felt in that situation. And I heard myself say the truest words I've ever said. 
And all of a sudden, it, it just came out of my mouth, well, at least now I don't have to lie anymore. At least mm-hmm. now everyone will know who I am. And in that moment, it was like I could take a, a breath for the first time in my life. Even with all the, the unknowns on the horizon, it was like Christ was there with me giving me some peace in this moment. So I began to think like about everything I had done in my life and the things I said to God. I told God that I hated him when, when my mother died, and I would never, ever give my life to him. I would never serve him again. And, and all of that started rushing back, and I just began to cry. And, and tell God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I've made these mistakes, what have I done to my wife and my family? If you'll just give me a chance, if you'll just let me try to be the man I should have always been, then I'll do it, I'll give you everything, I'll give you my life. And as I remember, as I look back now, you know, I can almost see Christ there on the bed next to me with his arm around me when I'm saying, I'm sorry for the things that I said, I'm sorry. Like, almost him saying to me, John, that's what you needed me to be for you. That's what you needed me to be for you. And now I need you to be something else for me. And so in that cell, I made my life, my mind up. I was going to give my life back to God. I started to remember this faith that I had as a young man that I'd missed so much in my life. It was shortly after that that the bailiff came and told me I had a visitor. My wife was there. She basically was in tears. I was in tears. Her mother, my mother-in-law was there, um, you know, with more daggers in her eyes than tears, I believe. But, you know, that's understandable. But, but we're sitting there, and, and, and my wife just says, I'm not going to divorce you. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the vows that I made to God. And wow. at that moment, yeah, and she's the hero of the story. Jesus and her are the hero of the story. People, mm-hmm. I'm the one that gets to tell it, but they're the true heroes of, the, of my life in this story. Um, so long story short, she says, you know, you can't come home. I need some time. Your dad's going to come get you. So that night, I walk out of downtown uh, Memphis Jail, and my dad has a farm in Mississippi a couple hours away. Uh, he came and picked me up, which that was a whole other scene, and just him, him asking what he might have done in my life to, to lead me down this path, which was like somebody shoving a knife in my heart to think that he had any responsibility in the decisions I made. But um, we go down there, I stay the weekend, it's Easter week, and I get out of jail on Good Friday, right? Like, so I go in on Holy Thursday, come out on Good Friday, I tell my work what's going on. They already had found out through some things, you know, just busted magazine or something in, in Memphis. And <laughs> so, yeah, I know that is a thing. I'm telling you, I'm not making that up. So, uh, but I go to this church in this small town of Bruce, like 600 people, and there's a Catholic room. There's not even a church, it's just a room. And there was a lot of times there wasn't even a priest. He was rotating between these small towns, but there was always a sister that, uh, that took communion or, you know, had communion services. So I went there. Um, and I, the same priest wound up showing up. I'd met once in my life before, four years before. And after his homily, he, he, he stopped me at the door and he, rem- he remembered my name and said, John, I don't know why you're here without your family, but God wants you to, to know that everything's going to be all right. And so I went home. I went to my work that Monday into court and did all of that. I checked myself voluntarily into behavioral science center. My wife showed up there that day. We had not even talked and said, I can't let you go through this alone. She let me come home that night. And as I was laying in my bed that night, she was sleeping in the bed with my son. She just didn't feel comfortable with me at that point. And um, I looked over, glad to be in my bed, in my home, in my own place. But I knew I had to change my life. So I began to look for a book to read. I found Father Larry Richards, Be a Man. I read it cover to cover that night. And all of a sudden, I started picking up the scriptures again, praying again, going to church, leading my family. And a year later, a guy asked me, um, he noticed what was going on in my life, and he asked me to go to dinner with him. I told no one what had happened in my life. I shared with him, thought he was going to get up and leave. He said, we should start a men's group. So I did. 
And one night I walked into a room and told 30 men, some I knew and some I didn't, what had gone on in my life. I was vulnerable with them. Every man in that room, when I was done sharing, stood up when I thought they were going to leave and shared things that, that was going on in their life, drug addiction, alcoholism, divorce, pornography. All these men started sharing, and that's when God showed me the power of vulnerability in my life. And so I started a men's group in Memphis that started bringing all kind of people in. We had a bunch of people who were not Catholic, 14 in the first year, that converted to Catholicism. and had a deacon here that I believe you guys play on your radio station there, um, Deacon Jeff Drzymski of the Catholic Cafe, Mm-hmm. lives here in Memphis, and he asked me to start a podcast and said, what would you call it? And I said, just a guy on the pew. That was something that people would come up to me in daily mass and say, are you in the diaconate of the seminary? And I'd say, no, I'm just a guy on the pew. Mm-hmm. And so that name came up that way, and we've had 85 Great. episodes. Yeah. I founded a nonprofit called Pew Ministries that's houses all this, and and we just we talk about everyday things that everyday guys deals, deal with mm-hmm. so that we can become closer to God and, and build our relationship yeah. with Christ and become the men that we're called to be. That is fantastic. Uh, you had mentioned Father Larry Richards and kind of the tough love and uh, what you had read from him. I was thinking yeah. of another uh, priest, a very popular author uh, who's no longer with us, Father Henry Nowen, who wrote a book entitled The Wounded Healer. And that theme has just been coming into my mind as I hear your story uh, when you're yeah. talking about, for example, the, uh, the the drug and alcohol dependency and the, those sorts of things. Um, how, how do you see those wounds particularly uh, being something that God is using as you are entering into this uh, apostolate? Well, you know, it's just incredible the way he's using it. What what happens is when you've been in the place that I've been in, you start to recognize that in someone else, and it builds a fire fueled by the Holy Spirit within me to go out and to know what it feels like to have been in that place in my life and to never want to go there again, but also to never let anyone else go there again. So through these wounds, I mean, in the word vulnerability, the Latin root of the word is vulnus, which literally means wound. And so mm-hmm. it's helped me realize that there's people that are walking around with wounds that, that we're trying to cover up with a bandage or trying to hide ourselves, but they never get better. They fester and they infect the rest of us. And the, the only person that can heal them is the, is the great physician, right? The divine physician. So we have to become vulnerable to let him in. And so through these things that I've learned in my life, I've realized that we all struggle with the same thing. Men particularly like to walk around as if we're the only one that's an alcoholic, the only one that struggles with pornography, the only one that may not be the best father. And the devil tries to convince us of that. But we, mm-hmm. we have to break free of those lies and understand that we're not the only ones. And through our witness and our sharing and, and, and what we've learned, we can bring other people to Christ. And so that's what I'm trying to do with every bit of my soul, whether it's through virtual Catholic conference that myself and, and a couple other people founded recently or Pew mm-hmm. Ministries, just a guy in the pew, that's what we're trying to do. Well, I tell you what, John, this has been an enthralling conversation, and uh, we've been uh, very grateful to be able to have you take some of your precious time to visit with us. Uh, so be assured of our um, uh, be assured of our prayers and and our uh, uh, best wishes for you and your family and and your associates. And uh, John Edwards' uh, podcast is called "Just a Guy in the Pew." Um, John, thank you again for your time, and all the best to you. All right, you too. You guys get to Memphis. I'll buy you some barbecue. Very good. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so All much. Right. Yeah, that's one of the best-selling points I think there could be. <laughs> Very good. Well, we're going to step away for one more break, but up next, it's the mighty Bishop Quinn from the Diocese of Winona, Rochester. You've not seen nothing like the mighty Quinn. So stay tuned for our next conversation that's coming up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Real Presence Live. 
This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. 